0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Christians in Culture podcast. Great to have you with us. If we haven't met before, my name is Rowan, and I'm the lead pastor at C3 Church Camden, Picton, and Theroux. And this is the second episode in a three-part mini-series within our season two of the Christians in Culture podcast, where we're addressing all things COVID vaccine. And so if you missed our last episode, I recommend you go back and listen to that. We talked about with Lauren about all the issues related to how a vaccine works and immunology and all that kind of stuff. And in this episode, we're addressing addressing or she's addressing and i'm asking questions around the issue of concerns related to side effects of the vaccine so i i imagine there'll be a lot of people who have questions about this this was the top kind of question that was responded to uh, in this survey that lauren put out so stick tight hang with us and hopefully you're going to have your questions asked so let's get into this episode with lauren we had was what about toxins you've mentioned aluminium i've heard formaldehyde different what about toxins in vaccines and what's in these vaccines that we're taking at the moment
1: yeah so these vaccines are some of the um some of the vaccines with the least ingredients ever Um, you know obviously every single vaccine ingredient that's ever been made has been tested and and you know all the rigorous safety requirements have been passed, but you know if you are ever going to be concerned about um, the extra ingredients in your vaccine, these are not the ones to be concerned about. Like the list is half a dozen. Um, most of them are just various different um, salt buffers, and um, I think there's probably only one ingredient that has been the subject of any real concern uh, which is um, polyethylene glycol PEG Mm -hmm. Um, the reason why that can be a concern is that it's a really common ingredient in makeups and um, cosmetics and so while that means it's a very safe ingredient it also means it's one that our bodies have seen before and anything like that that we apply to our skin is something that we we can have an allergy to um, okay. And so, you know, people who are very reactive to things like makeups may need to just check with their with their doctor that they're not allergic to um, this PEG. It was very early on; it was sort of flagged as a as a concern, but it does not seem to have played out as um, as something that's causing that's problems. Thing. So.
0: And is the reason that there's less ingredients and less toxicity because of this new technology that it's much simpler to get the vaccine and deliver it into the cell? Is that the reason that, I mean, from what I understand, a lot of these other peripheral toxins or things that were use were all part of the package, really, not the virus yeah. that they were trying to distribute?
1: Yeah, no, that's right. Um, so the thing with the mRNA vaccines is that they, they have this two-in-one effect. So the mRNA both stimulates the immune system because you know, it, there's part of it outside the cell where it doesn't usually exist. So that causes that little bit of localised inflammation and that's why the, the pain in your well, arm you is it not it a so side that. effect. It's a, it's a good yep. effect. We want that yep. one. Um, we need that inflammation to tell our immune system this is something to learn to fight. Yeah, so the mRNA is doing all of that and there's not really much else that's needed other than the um, the little lipid capsule. And so the big words that you see when you look in the ingredients for the the Pfizer vaccine, um, they're the... the um, the fats they're pretty similar like cholesterol is one of them
0: <laughs> it has right.
1: cholesterol in it and it's okay because um it's such a tiny amount and
0: such a small turns amount.
1: out cholesterol is actually not that bad for you but anyway that's a very different story <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> depends on what you yeah it depends on what year you lived in didn't it you could have eggs you didn't have eggs you had egg whites you didn't have egg, <laughs> all that that's stuff. right um the, yeah.
1: the astrazeneca on the other hand um it doesn't seem to have that much adjuvant, and I actually don't know why that's the case it must be you know that particular viral vector um does a really great job of of stimulating the immune system so
0: now let, let's talk about the trials so that was that was a question that was coming up before we got the side effects a lot of people were asking about and i've heard this you know the trials were rushed you know normally we take seven years to get a vaccine or 10 years to get a vaccine approved mm-hmm. we rushed this out without fda approval yes there was uh, what's EUA, you know, Ex- emergency use authority. EUA. Uh, what a, what part of what answers do you have to the concerns about the how quickly the trials were expedited? Yeah, yeah. Project Warp Speed, as Donald Trump called it, I believe.
1: <laughs> yeah. Look, I am really confident that the speed at which the COVID vaccine was developed will go down as one of the greatest successes of science. You know, it has already saved countless lives, and it was prioritised for a reason. Um, you know, this is humanity's answer to viruses, yep. and and so the international collaboration, and you know, people downing tools to to pick up a COVID-related project, and the um, the way in which you know. Scientists who might might normally compete with one another instead just decided to work together. Really quite astounding. Quite
0: inspiring from your perspective.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, you know, from the science perspective um, and, you know, that I guess the initial research that was needed to get us to the stage where we had the information um, to to make a a vaccine um, happened amazingly. As I said, you know, we've, we've talked about before the way that um, existing trials were pivoted, um, existing technologies were adapted, um, things so the like MR, that. Just to
0: clarify, the mRNA delivery technology, they yep. didn't come up with that in the second half of 2020. <laughs> that, that's, that's been in the work for a long time. Yeah, yeah, that's
1: right. And, you know, the fact that we had um, SARS, um, you know, a number of years ago. Yes. There were... People working on SARS vaccines, um, no one was really funding them because SARS was pretty much eradicated, um, you know, when you have a, a coronavirus that um, causes very severe symptoms in pretty much everyone and infects, it doesn't get very far, So that's worth
0: clarifying. Originally, SARS-1, yes, there it was highly symptomatic, so lots of people got it, which made it easier to diagnose. With SARS-2, the issue is that it's asymptomatic and a lot of people, they don't get it, and a lot of times... They're contagious for a period of time before they get it, so that's what's really made it worse. Even though it's probably in some ways it's maybe not as it's not as deadly per person as SARS one. Yeah. It's the fact that it spreads it's simply a numbers game, isn't it really?
1: Yeah, no, that's that's yeah. exactly right. And you know, I do wonder if if so they avoided calling it SARS in the first place, um, you know, when it first came out because they didn't want to scare people. Right, like. This was obviously a SARS-like vaccine. They knew it was a coronavirus, but they were careful to say, no, 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 this, this is not SARS. This is a new coronavirus that we haven't seen before. You know, it is related to SARS. It's in that family with SARS and MERS and, and things. Um, but, you know, don't freak out. If they had called it SARS-2 to begin with, um, I, I think some of this conversation would look different. Uh, yeah. We would know that this is something to be concerned about we yeah. we already feared science yes, um, yeah, and there's I'm not saying issues. that we we should have you know promoted fear that please no. don't hear hear it that way but I think we would have understood more what it was and we the would have also stuff. understood um why it is that we actually do have a lot of understanding and a lot of approaches um, in terms of vaccination already
0: yeah, yeah so right from the nice
1: beginning. Um, not just in America but all around the world and again there was incredible amount of collaboration internationally as well like the the regulatory authorities went into overdrive and and collaborated really well with each other as well. Um, so there were you know international task forces around this thing. So there was a commitment right from the beginning that that it would not be rushed. the safety would be top priority uh, because you know the goal here is to save lives and so we needed to make sure that if we were going to roll something out across the globe save lives that it was you know safe and effective so there was a commitment to not skip any of those important safety considerations Um, i'm sure there would be people who you know the the moment the very first you know like in the movies it's like We've, we've got the antidote. Quick, get it out to as get many it, people as you it can. Every, yeah, it's right. Spread that. Get that thing out there while yeah.
0: oh, the outbreak we, moved we had skipped yeah. some
1: of those safety steps, you know. Yeah. We, it, it would have been foolish, but we could yeah. have got it out sooner. Um, and so, you know, the papers where they did these incredibly massive trials, you know, around 30,000 people in these um, stage three trials.
0: So the actual trials are about normal. Stage one, stage two, stage three trials Yep. That happened in uh, your hero Francis Collins. I remember hearing him talk about this on that podcast back in April, and he was he was saying, and he's the guy who's signing off on all this. And interestingly enough, in the last week, Lauren, I was listening to him an interview with NT Wright that he did, like in July, when they were just starting the podcast. I hadn't heard that one about it. Uh, when they were starting the trials about 18 months ago, and I heard him say before this any of this happened, he said, I'm not going to cut corners on this. Yeah. Uh, for for the reason you said, he said, I'm not going to cut corners for the sake of safety. So that's before the trial process really got underway. Yeah. He already has a, acknowledged a commitment to not cutting corners. So they've been through all three stages. Yeah, and I heard him say cool. that really it was the bureaucracy and the red tape that would normally be there that they cut through not so much the, the process of trialling and me- measuring and assessing. Is that you understand? Yeah.
1: It? So look, that and that's that's definitely been the um the common argument there, and it's absolutely true um that they were able to cut through red tape and that um you know there there were um I guess pathways specifically created in order to expedite this particular vaccine uh, above over and above others. You know, at a level that wouldn't be sustainable if we did it for everything. Right. Um. You know, there was there was a reason to prioritize this. You know, and, and almost put everything else on hold. But also, you know, the the funding was there. Anyone's going to be able to, like, oh, you have the potential to reduce the impact of the global pandemic? Go yes. for it. Have Go all my money. <laughs> do,
0: what, do whatever you can to make Please. it happen. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and, and, you know, that was certainly the messaging that was coming from um, pretty much every government was like, yes, <laughs> <Just> <laughs> have whatever you need. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's, that's um, but
1: also... There's another really important factor um, in why the trials could be faster, and that's because it was a pandemic. So normally if you want enough statistical power to be able to say this is an effective vaccine, you need to wait quite a long time (laughs) while all your, you know, trial participants happen to get exposed because you you can't, it's not ethical to like vaccinate, um, you know, these twenty thousand people, and not vaccinate those twenty thousand people, and then like stick them all in a room and, and have sick people cough on them. Yes, you just yes. can't do that with humans. No. Um, it's
0: been done in the past, <laughs> like early on. That's the sort of <laughs> early stages of what they used to do: throw people in rooms and <laughs> see. Yeah, exactly. That, that could they, be they, another they, podcast to tell you. Yeah, what. That's, yeah uh, that's <laughs> <awesome>. <laughs> We've learned a lot since then about humans about, lot about since ethics. Then. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah,
1: and um, which also makes me laugh when people say. Um, they're experimental vaccines and, and we're all part of the clinical trial and yeah no so right. i i did some casual work um in my during my phd for a um multiple sclerosis clinical trial the amount of paperwork like right i because i thought that might be a career for, for me i thought you know dealing with um clinical trials that, and then i could do the science and also deal with people and that people? would be great oh my goodness it is a paperwork I, you have to be <laughs> such a perfectionist Otherwise, the um, the, you know the regulators will just come back and that sorry cut it down. That that typo was not properly you know three times cross checked and, and therefore no. Um.
0: So. so. there is just all that to say that under normal circumstances it's very high level and I. Oh no, which...
1: not just under normal under all circumstances. Oh, under all circumstances. So, all circumstances, you know right. these clinical trials would have been con- well, sorry were conducted to those right. same standards. So None the number one
0: the, major yeah, issue is the activity. fact that there was an availability of people to actually get infected with it to to that's a big part of what sped up the process. That makes yeah. sense. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, right. Okay.
1: Yeah. So, you know, the the graph, if, if you look at the um maybe we can I don't know, share this on social somewhere. Um sure. the actual graph from the Pfizer paper, that the stage three paper, um, you know, lots of the um the placebo group developed disease you know sadly yes. it's it's yes. awful but you know that's the that's the world that's we're what living. A trial in. is that's
0: yeah um, sure.
1: and so you can see this dramatic difference in yeah. those who receive the vaccine it's, it's it's striking and you know that's when they they come out with these figures you know we were we were dancing in the streets when um when these preliminary results were published and you know our, our top candidates are having things like 95 percent efficacy mm-hmm. That's unheard of. That, that no, was the moment happen, of joy. No. Um, like, and
0: they weren't targeting, this is one of the things, that they weren't trying to prevent the spread of the disease. They, they were trying to, pre- sorry, the spread of the virus. They were trying to prevent serious disease. That was their first priority with the vaccines. Is that correct?
1: Um, oh, look, you always hope that a vaccine will reduce the condition. Um, right. You know, our, our, the, the ideal vaccine, which doesn't exist because you know, it's messy and imperfect. Um, would mean that as soon as you, as soon as your body saw the virus, it would be completely shut down. It could never get a foothold, and it could never be transmitted. Right. That would that's be ideal. I-
0: that's the ideal. Um,
1: but of course, viruses spread because they're pretty good at evading yeah, those evading initial the, parts of yeah. the immune system.
0: So that's, that's uh, well, thank you. That's really helpful to even understand some more of that whole process of, of um, how, how they worked and their history and the fact that we can rely on these. I, I remember seeing that Ezekiel declaration thing that went around the other week and misquoting that Greg Hunt, the health minister there, saying something to the effect of we're engaged in the biggest you know, health trial and then seeing that in a negative way. Yeah. But my understanding on that is, say, even take the TTS blood clotting, which is one of the side effects. I've heard people say that if it wasn't for the fact that we are measuring so many people right now. A, a side effect like that in most vaccines would we'll probably sneak through, and no one would even notice that it was an issue. Yep. Is that? It's oh, just absolutely. that we simply yeah. we have such a wide pool of people we're testing on, and we're actually measuring the results and the feedback on these viruses more than any any vaccine we've ever had in history. Yep. Is that right?
1: Uh, yeah. If I can clarify, because I think that's that is a you know seems to be a sticking point at the moment, and you know unfortunately with with things like this, the sticking point changes moment to moment you um you come you know you take your time to explain well with good data um you know an answer to this particular thing and then those who are keen on spreading misinformation will will come up with something brand new and that's one of the reasons why misinformation is is so difficult to um to get a, a handle on but i digress um the the statement about the world's largest clinical trial we are certainly being able to gather data from an incredible amount of people these are certainly the most scrutinized vaccines in human history um, we have more data on these vaccines than any others and so i totally get what he was saying his choice of words
0: probably large clinical idea. trial no, yeah. <laughs> a clinical
1: trial is a very specific type yeah. of medical research um, yeah. and and so certainly we're not all you know, but you would have known if you were signed up it, to one of those. There would yes. have been many, many, many all papers. kinds
0: of disclaimers that you'd sign your name to. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's right, that's right. <laughs> right. And we heard stories from those original clinical trial participants, and, and we thanked them at the time for their bravery because that right. is a bit scary, you know. You yes, yes, know sure. Um, but there were thousands of those. They're done and dusted, and the evidence is great. Um, the side effect profiles um, are minimal, and and so we can be confident that. You know, all the regulatory bodies um, have given their expertise and their absolute due diligence to this to make sure that it was effective to, to roll out to a whole population. You know, that, that's a So Greg
0: step. Hunt's words aside, rather than that being something of concern, that actually should give, I feel that should give me a higher degree of confidence because uh, it's more likely we're going to pick up these side effects than we otherwise would have. Yes. So. Yeah, so it's the opposite of what is the message that's often being perpetuated out there.
1: And you know, they, they've been called experimental vaccines. You know, they're they're trying to roll out this experimental vaccine, and and it, it's really not like it, it was for a little while. It was experimental. It was in a clinical trial. Um, yeah. We no one else could get access to it at that time. But yeah. now the clinical trial is finished. We have the the data, and that was then able to get um, in in the States where they were calling an emergency use authorization, you know, we've seen that this, these early results, um, and I'll come back to that word early results in a second. Um, in Australia, it's called a provisional um, registration of, of the vaccine. So, you know, the, the TGA in Australia has given this um, provisional uh, registration. It is approval, like it, yeah. these are approved for use for the prevention of COVID. Um, and so I think, you know, anyone who's labelling them as experimental is, is doing so for a reason. Um, right. They're choosing those words. To, to
0: stimulate some kind of fear or concern or, yeah. or yeah, mistrust yeah. or something like that, yeah. yeah.
1: So, you you know, if you want to call them provisional, that's fine. And so let's talk about why they're provisional. And, and this goes to another really common thing that came up in our surveys is we have good data on early side effects okay we have you know pretty much got um access to the entire medical history of the entire country of israel that was um vaccinated early like we have amazing data and about, they are say, the they are at the top of
0: the world in terms of re- the level of information they've collected is huge isn't it compared yeah. to yeah. a lot of other nations yeah
1: yeah that's it and you know they, they um Had arrangements. It was a great arrangement. I wish Australia could have done that. Um, You know, early access, or you know, and and lots and lots of attention in terms of data. I I think that's awesome. So we can be very thankful to Israel for for doing that and for um, you know, they weren't the guinea pigs either. Um, Again. Guinea pigs were after the people who signed us. For trust. That again. Yeah. But we're we're fortunate that they were they enabled us to have access to that mm. beautiful data source. Mm. Great. So we have unprecedented levels of information about, say, the first um, nine to twelve months of reactions. But what people are worried about, and and I I really do understand um, this fear, is that say in five, ten years' time, we're going to go, oh, it turns out that being vaccinated against COVID puts you at very high risk of such and such. We didn't know. We are sad. And people are wanting to wait for that level of data. And, you know, those sorts of long-term clinical studies are often required for a full approval of some treatments. You know, like if you're going to be on a medication and, a, a medic, you know, you're going to be on it long term, you want to know that taking it for 10 years isn't going to lead to some sort of, some sort know, of cancer liver or, failure or yes, something Yes, yeah. Like that. And so we need that long-term data for of I guess
0: as, to take it out of the medical, asbestos would be an example of, you right. know, something that people didn't know about until yes. much later that it was unhealthy and was causing lung cancers and so on so that would be something that is in a similar sort of fear category i guess yes. is what you can express
1: yeah. yeah no that's it and so i really do understand people's reluctance because they you know this is presented as something new um it's presented as something that we only have and there have been lots of seeds of fear sown about oh it could cause long-term issues with fertility or it could cause long-term issues you know with whichever flavor of the day thing is going around um and look I do understand that and I guess you know if it if you wanted me to say with 100% certainty that down the track we won't go oh turns out the COVID vaccine increased the risk of say a particular autoimmune disease no one can give that level of certainty what we do know though is that let's let's say take the pfizer for example because i think you know the newness of the mrna is is a big concern to people the only new thing about the pfizer vaccine or the astrazeneca is the spike protein and The people in the world who have had the highest levels of exposure to the spike protein are people who have been infected with COVID. And so anything, any long-term side effect that you could possibly get from having the vaccine is going to be present and more so
0: in the the long-term effect
1: of having COVID. Right. So... Let's talk about all the side effects that, we're, that we are seeing. We're so already we're seeing are, the
0: effects of long COVID, aren't we, already? Right. You know, well, yeah,
1: yeah. So, but, I mean, for the vaccine. So let's talk about some right. of the vaccine side effects, sure. okay? Cl- clotting, all right? So, yeah. you know, the, the immune system seeing that the, um, the spike protein attaches to um, the endothelial layer of the blood, and it's therefore triggering an immune response against some of those, um, like the platelet cells, and causing this particular type of clotting disorder, we're seeing that with COVID as well. Okay, okay. it's a it's the body's response to the COVID spike protein. Oh, so
0: whether you get it through the vaccine or whether you get it through COVID, you're actually getting the same response yep, in it. one in hundred thousand or whatever it is, that's right? It.
1: Yeah, okay. and the COVID COVID is is causing this type of clotting seven times greater rates than right. the vaccines are because. Okay so much more inflammation the you know the the body's under duress. spike protein is all over your body it's yeah. replicating and infecting all of your cells um, and so you know anything that the spike protein does it's going to do it more so in an in case of mm-hmm. covid infection
0: is that the same with the uh, heart swelling around the yeah. Pfizer situation exactly the yes, same
1: absolutely the same right so they're seeing that in those same age groups are having um, those sorts of responses to COVID. You know, COVID is causing all kinds of crazy things. You know, like the the loss of of smell. Yep. Um, you know, at first Fantastic. they didn't even know of why that was, um, and then they go, "Oh, turns out that these cells that support our um, nerve cells in our nose, they have this um, receptor that we didn't even know they had that, but that explains why." Those cells are getting attacked um, in a COVID infection, you know. So the the virus goes. I'm uh, sorry, the vaccine goes nowhere near those cells, and so no. not a problem with the vaccine. So, um, so the,
0: the side effects are actually normal effects. For one of the word normal, but they're effects that come in some form or other more regularly than the vaccine itself with the actual virus. That's fascinating. Right. fascinating. Yeah. You know how how yeah, it's disappointing because some of the questions are around you know getting information out there because that's, I don't think I've heard that explained clearly like you've said there.
1: So you know we saying? don't know. So there is a theory, you know, if you want to talk unproven yeah. theories, yeah. there is a theory that um, people who who do, you know, have these very rare side effects to the vaccine are the same people that would have those reactions to the virus. Yeah. And so, you know, because we're, we're vaccinating more people than... We're actually,
0: actually getting the virus now,
1: especially in Australia. Yeah. Especially in Australia, yeah, in
0: um, Australia, yeah different than yes. the UK. Um, yeah.
1: then, then we're seeing them in the case of the vaccine rather mm. than in the case of, of the infections. Yeah. But if those people had gotten the virus, they would have had that particular um, response and worse. Is the and, 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 but it's un
0: we, 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 we wouldn't be able to measure that because exactly. the, the death rate, if you're doing this in the UK or the USA or Italy at the heart of it they weren't they weren't taking that level of time to diagnose what caused the death of a person there was just too many people dying for them to be able to dig into to, to find out whether or not they've had lost their sense of smell for instance that sort of thing I'm sure they couldn't have been recording all that information
1: yeah um yeah look I think because there's so many studies happening um they weren't recording all that information for everyone but they were for like certain subsectors. so okay um there's all there's incredible number of papers out there on on, you know um, studies that they did okay because it's so easy we're just going to take every person that comes into the COVID ward this week we're going to ask them this set of questions right you've got a paper
0: and then (laughs) out of that you're able to work out okay what symptoms have you got sure
1: yeah but what we can't do is um, preempt um, the people who are going to respond badly to either the vaccine or the virus well, that's so, a bit
0: like trying to preempt some kind of genetic disposition that people have got. We don't have the technology to do that all that time, do we? Yeah, we, we uh,
1: not we, always, that's right. And no, so they, there always, are yes. studies, um, even um, here in Australia, I'm, I'm aware of some studies that are looking at, um, you know, maybe genetic markers that can predict why it is that some people respond um, so catastrophically to the virus um, mm-hmm. and and experience some of those those really um, deadly um, consequences I guess of, of being infected you know can we predict who it is that it, they're going to have those and, and put extra protections in place around them and that um,
0: technology is you know since the mapping of the human genome that is one thing that they've been able to do they can look more intently at some of those they're looking to try to find those dis, those genetic markers aren't they And hopefully even gene therapy them out if they if they possibly can and yeah. Them. yeah
1: yeah so so that's the whole field of genomics and, and yeah that's right it's a particular um focus of my work yeah again we could have a whole other conversation another oh, time <laughs> I'm
0: that. that's not that's a nice topic yeah that's great yeah.
1: all
0: right so um let's yeah, sort of talk about those long-term side effects and you know that we 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 don't know for certain but there's very little risk from the sense of toxins and there's not there's not a lot of other things going on that would cause that so okay let's, so, uh, I, let's... I
1: think there there yeah. are a couple of other points to raise i I've, i think maybe I've, I've reversed our order there i apologize we will no that's okay the immediate side effects first. But um, while we are on the topic of of long-term side effects, I think um, a really important consideration, you know, we we don't have data on potential long-term side effects. We know from our understanding of how vaccines work that long-term effects from vaccines don't really happen. It's not really something that we see. Um, However, we know very well that viruses have long-term effects we we um mentioned before this this idea of long covid it terrifies me um Mm. so a couple of years ago i um experienced a pulmonary embolism Mm -hmm. um you know funnily enough uh it was possibly exact um, brought on by um being on the pill which does increase your rate and when when i went back on it my doctor informed me of this potential side effect. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no problem. Everyone's on the pill. Yeah, everyone's um, on the pill. Yeah, and but it does. It, it increases your risk of pulmonary embolism um, sevenfold. Um, but most people are, are on it. Most anyway, people
0: still go on the pill. Yeah. That's
1: right. Um, yeah. Ironically. Anyway, um, so massive pulmonary embolism out of nowhere, um, very miraculously was in the right place at the right time and, and got the treatment that I needed and, to save my life. Um but that short window of being oxygen deprived um gave me that that long COVID type experience. Um so I had the fatigue, months and months of, of fatigue and um breathlessness and, and things and I would not wish that on anyone. And I I see, you know, papers coming through about long COVID um that that terrify me, you know, this is gonna be um the next epidemic and it's not going to be a short one um it's really distressing and so you know when people talk about the very very small possibility of long-term effects of the um of the vaccine we already know that there's an incredibly high possibility of long-term effects from the virus and so when you're coming to making that risk benefit evaluation that we all do every day
0: yes we live um, with that don't we
1: yeah you know it's um the the known risks are so much greater than what the unknown risks could possibly be
0: well actually while you were speaking there about your own experience uh, I I won't mention this person I'm sure that she wouldn't have a problem with it but just out of you know courtesy without having checked with her we have a a, a lady in our uh, congregation at C3 rule who actually her and her family contracted COVID when they were in the United States they came back early on in 2020 they -hmm. contracted over there and she actually said to me just the Sunday before last and she's a fit woman you know Mm -hmm. no I wouldn't think there would be any underlying morbidities or any concerns and I've heard her say that her family have picked up nearly every cold that's come through there since then Mm -hmm. and she said probably what so you know well over 12 months later and she said only now can she feel like she can go for a run Mm -hmm. and so she has you know been short of breath and and she's definitely experienced long COVID so there's a Mm -hmm. there's a story from within our own congregation of someone who's experienced what you're talking about
1: yep mm. yeah so that's you know if people are talking about fear mongering and, and people being you know it's 99 percent survival rate and and things i i've never worried that i would die from COVID. i certainly worried that um some of my older family members um yeah. could be more at risk um but yeah i i do feel long covert i, I reason to, and, and i think others yeah. others do as having, well
0: having walked that journey of of, yeah. of an extenuating disease over a longer period of time you don't want to go there yeah i hear that yeah
1: mm-hmm. um, and you All know right. COVID, it um the reason that it has these long-term side effects is um is because of damage done so you know organ the, damage
0: is that what you're saying sorry? Is yeah. it organ damage? Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's right. And and damage to the blood vessels in particular. Um so the 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 long term effects are done by the acute damage. And I think that's worth knowing because, you know, are are we going to willingly inject ourselves with this spike protein that is um associated with all these um all these problems?
0: These are the problems, um, okay.
1: But it's about you know what's happening at the time. So at the time of vaccination, you will get a sore arm, you know, and you might get a, a fever or or um, fatigue, headache, yeah. um, you know, yeah. some, some of those. But what you're not going to have is um, ongoing inflammation in all of your organs and the spike protein being produced and replicated in multiple sensitive parts of your body um and your immune system trying to fight it there you know it stays in your arm Yep. tiny little bits of it might get around about the place um but nothing compared to what happens in even a mild, um, a mild COVID case. Of the virus.
0: okay right so um, so Jill would say she she probably she tends to pick things up fairly easily, but she like she had with her first Astra, she was pretty sick pretty pretty much for a week afterwards. I mean mm-hmm. she said she had she was right the first night, the second night, so about thirty hours afterwards she had fevers during the night, so she probably got a pretty bad dose of it yeah. um, and it really she got it on a Tuesday, and it was really the next Monday where she said, oh, "I feel starting to feel better, and then mm-hmm. second time around it wasn't the severity wasn't as bad, which I've heard, but she was still unwell for probably three to four days, so that's probably at the upper end. Yeah, but even she said, "Look, I'm aware that, uh, you know, she thinks maybe there was some arthritis. She felt like some of her arthritis was flaring up and stuff like that. I actually, didn't really yeah. know for certain, but, but all of those kind of reactions are 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 your immune system doing what it's supposed to do? Is that is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. So it's your immune system. So the vir- the the vaccine, sorry, has to cause inflammation. Yes. Um, for it to work that's you know inflammation is is just the effects that we see from the immune system becoming activated and so that's really necessary and so, so for those of us like
0: myself that got no no symptoms whatsoever yeah a bit of a sore arm for 12 hours that doesn't mean that it didn't work any more effectively in me though did it no or, no no
1: yeah. and they've they've actually studied that as well Yeah, right. efficacy is not related to the the strength so this and so is, yeah. you know our our inflammation is a, is a really interesting um, area of study and um, you know it underlies so many different um, conditions and, and the way that we experience conditions so um, you know the difference between a regular cold and the man flu um, is often our body's response to inflammation right, um, and okay. you know, that's what we're experiencing and and so, yes, we we do need to stimulate a little bit of that. And, and different people are going to respond to that differently. Different immune systems are going to um, to spread that inflammation around differently. And um, and that's but that's not predictable. Within but that's all
0: intolerance. Yep, yeah, sure. Thirty five percent of people ask the question: How are risks studied, compared, and reported? You kind of did touch on some of that. Is there anything you want to add to that, or do you feel like you've adequately covered that at the moment?
1: Yeah, I think. What needs to, you know, the message that that I'd like to communicate is that um, we're really not very good at, not, none of us, that the human brain is is not very good at comparing risks. So a one in a hundred risk and a one in a million risk really sit pretty similar in our minds. You know, it's one in a big number. <laughs> um, we're not very good at what's called multiplicative. Multiplicative, I can't even pronounce it. Um, reasoning, we multiply numbers in our in our head pretty poorly. I think that really contributes. So we're more likely to perceive a risk as high if we hear about it a lot. So you know, these days car crashes are very rarely reported, and so we are therefore innately more afraid of shark attacks, which, you know, very rare but always reported, yes, um, yes, but gotcha. then we are car accidents. Um, and, you know, that, that's. I think people get that, but it, understanding that doesn't actually necessarily um, stop us from experiencing that cognitive effect. Um,
0: so one of the people, oh, carry on, carry on. Yeah.
1: So what I guess science does is try to, to take a much more mathematical and um, (laughs) non-emotive approach here. We know that, um, you know, we're going to fear the, um, getting a blood clot after AstraZeneca, even though it's incredibly rare, more than we're going to fear driving to the vaccination centre, you know, even though the risks are comparably, it's it's human nature to feel afraid of the things that are being shown to us all the time like that, that is totally understandable. Um, And so we need to be able to, you know, that's why I love um, data visualization as a a means of communication. Because, okay, let's use our very clever eyes to look at the difference in pictures. And so, you know, um, there's a great one going around with grains of rice. Um, So, you know, here's ten grains of rice, and it's like one in ten people are going to have serious effects from from COVID. And here's a thousand grains of rice, and you know one in a thousand might um, um, experience. So, so, I haven't so, quite got so the numbers big. right there, but yeah. you know, yeah. um, you know, I think it was young people dying from COVID. Okay. And um, and then here's the number of grains of rice that represent the risk of. Um, getting a blood clot with us. A lot
0: of bags of rice. Like
1: a lot, <laughs> right, because you know, we're like, oh, yeah. Oh, i
0: right. get it now. One grain of yeah. rice
1: isn't going to fill my tummy, that would. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, i get Yeah,
0: gotcha. It yeah, right. What you're saying, it's, it's visualising it in a way that that bypasses the, new, the pure numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So, you know, back uh, a few months ago when there was just a few cases of, of COVID in Sydney and um, there was the debate about, whether young people should have access to yeah, yeah. astrazeneca vaccine and yeah. um, a few of my friends you know contacted me and said okay what, what is the the risk benefit analysis here um and you know thankfully some brilliant mathematicians had had done that had already done that yeah. produced some some things and so there were different levels of um virus prevalence that made it worthwhile and but they were comparing the risk of getting a blood clot um, to the risk of being hospitalised with COVID, I believe. Um, and you know, yes, if you get a blood clot, you'll be hospitalised. Um, but the the chance of um of of death there is uh, was like four percent at the time, and yeah. and continually improving as they figured out how to detect them earlier yes. and, and treat them yeah. well. And even then, you know, even when the numbers still even fell, on we had the side cases of, a day, sort of
0: thing. Yeah.
1: Of you know, get the vaccine. And I was saying, look, this is only in the the maths is only looking at the four weeks after vaccine, where, but you'd be protected for much longer than that. Um, so even when I was saying, look, the maths would say go and get the vaccine, the GPs were still saying no. No, that's right. Uh, no, sorry, not willing to take yeah, that. Well, they, they
0: wanted to have that, they wanted to be protected in those case, right. yeah, yeah no, which that is understandable risk be burst, yeah. yeah risk averse exactly like, yeah
1: as the cases increased here that risk calculation changed to the yes. point where then the advice was anybody like anybody the best vaccine for you is the one you can get today and
0: even the, the other thing they did is they said well let's bring it forward from 12 weeks to four weeks or four to six weeks but that was the same thing there was going to be a trade-off in terms of long-term effects but we could boost that later but the, the risk was you might get it when you've only got one dose and you're better off getting, a, getting extra immunity from a second dose. So it's that same, it's risk, what did you call it? Risk aversion. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And,
1: and, and you know, every decision we make, we're weighing up risks and benefits. Yes. But unfortunately, we're not always doing that based on accurate information. And it's, it's usually getting filtered through our, our preconceptions. Right. So, you know, that um, availability bias, you know, the information that's in front the, of us. In
0: front of us, we assume that's correct. Yeah, yeah. we give that a and higher that's rating. It our-
1: it, that's it. It skews it. And so if you you look at the best quality data and you remove fear and emotion from it using maths, <laughs> maths is good at that, it's very non-emotional.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, maths teachers aren't known for emotion, are they?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, then... Then we can make those. Then what? Then you call it a well-informed decision, right? Yes. Gotcha. Um, and you know, I, th- I think the rest of the of the concerns and the rest of the the conversation, I think, is then about um, what are the factors that influence that risk-benefit calculation in our head. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what are the the influences on our the perceived risk? Because um, that's then what's going to make us feel confident and feel trusting or not
0: so that's really that's helpful that's actually a really good segue um into the next major question i've got one sub question that i'll ask you before we get there but that whole idea of risk aversion and measurement and all that would pick up again in the next phase where we're talking about reporting and you know, mm, people mm. reporting statistics and how do we trust them and that. But before we do, there was one subcategory there under under risks and and the immunisation that a couple of people had asked and that was around our body's natural immunity, which you've already mm. explained and how wonderful yeah. and amazing that is. Yes. So there's some people who are saying, well, why aren't we just coaching people in how to activate uh, our body's natural immunity to do this better and and so on. So do you want to comment on on that aspect as well? Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. Um, so. I hope um, the way that I described the immune system right at the beginning um, is, is helpful in that regard. So a um, a very healthy immune system um, still only has a few cells that are going to recognise that spike protein. And so, yes, we should be looking at and doing all the very best things for our immune system, um, but that's not going to mean that we can recognize and attack this particular invader which you know spreads quickly and you know, some people are going to be fine and, and others aren't and we're not exactly sure of the reason there but it's clearly not just to do with how healthy people's immune systems are right. anyone that wants to tell you that if you're fit and healthy you are completely protected from Negative effects from COVID is that that's a mistruth. Like, and we we have seen some of those exactly
0: perfectly healthy people just completely dropping dead on the spot with no warning, that sort of thing. I mean, yeah, it's not as common, but it is happening.
1: Yeah, yeah, and like with everything, those with underlying conditions are at greater risk, Um, and you know the older you are, um, the the greater your risks are from COVID as well. But you know we need to remember that approximately you know 30 up to 50 percent of australians have an underlying condition and mm. um, this is not rare and this does not mean that they don't um, deserve the full protection that community community the can, community can
0: give great thought well done. well done we've got two categories that are linked together we're talking about uh, that have come up is safety for children and all that goes with that and safety for women pregnant women breastfeeding fertility all of that so let's let's lump those together and uh, you know the the approval process for children some people people saying I don't want to get my kids vaccinated other people saying why can't why aren't kids vaccinated yet etc etc so you want to talk to those issues
1: yeah I thought that was really interesting in our survey that there were probably as many people concerned that they couldn't get their children vaccinated yeah
0: I was fascinated by that too
1: (laughs) I, I I get that as well like on one hand I do not want to take my children to get vaccinated because there is a chance they will bite me um but I was <laughs> taking.
0: I took my sons to get their second vaccination at the doctor the other day, and there was a little baby in there getting its vaccine, and mm-hmm. we were in the waiting room and the screaming was. Yeah, <laughs> poor little kid. <laughs> right.
1: Look, there's very good reasons why we don't like vaccines. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's something sharp going into our body. We're not yeah. meant to love that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I I do get that, and you know, when it comes to the health of our children, especially when it comes to long term side effects, our children are still developing. There is legitimate concern there um again australia is lucky other countries are going first and we're going to have really good data um by the time we even have enough vaccines for our children so, so what are they
0: working on trying to figure out exact dosages is that one of the reasons or safety are they they're basically back doing trials on children yeah. is that where they're at
1: yeah absolutely so the trials for um 12 and up have been completed and yep. really good efficacy profile and, um, safety profile there as well. Um, so I think, uh, the, the myocarditis in young males is the primary concern. And as we've said again, it's a sucky virus and the, you know, it's still a, the risk benefit ratio still lies on the side of the vaccine. The, Younger children, younger than 12, um, trials are ongoing now. So there's nothing that has completed those trials. Um, so there's nothing approved yet. Um, and, and those trials are, are being conducted and we just need to wait and see what the results are there. Um, there's certainly a lot of concern about sending children back to school um, in the UK and the US and they are becoming hotspots um, and seeing a lot of breakouts around schools. And there's a lot And of that's something about. that really
0: Delta, it wasn't as prevalent with younger generations. Is that right? Delta seems to be more transmissible in children than Alpha was? Yep. Or is that just sheer numbers?
1: Certainly Delta is more transmissible across the board. Across the board, right. All age groups mm-hmm. um, and also does seem to be affecting children more severely than okay. the Alpha did. Um, so, you know, you, you, we're seeing children hospitalised um, and in the ICU, whereas we didn't, didn't um, say, so in see Melbourne that. with no. the alpha. So um, that is certainly worrying and, I, you know, mm. there are ongoing. You can
0: understand parents concerned about sending their kids back to school while that's not uh, confirmed or sort yeah. of, yeah. Yeah,
1: and, you know, but can we get primary school students to socially distance and wear masks? Nah, you know, right. These are these are legitimate concerns. Um and we do hope that the information about you know the the trials for children turn out to be as positive as other age groups, and that we can um, get them protected as well.
0: What sort of time frame are we looking at, do you think, for under 12s?
1: I am not actually sure where sure. where those studies are up to. I know they are underway. Um,
0: I imagine they're trying to
1: do it with as babies. quickly as they
0: could. Yeah,
1: but again, those corners won't be cut. No, they especially won't, especially with yeah. with young. Yeah, interest. sure. they're going to be very very careful there and so they yeah. should be um but we just need to hang tight until that's there okay. mm-hmm. uh fertility um there's it's, that's actually a really interesting story um around where some of these um concerns come from so uh there was a, a german doctor who um did some bioinformatics and noticed a similarity in a placental protein um and the spike protein very very small similarity, almost negligible um, consequence. Turns out was of negligible consequence. But, you know, these are the things that we look for um, if we're worried about triggering autoimmune disease. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that really got overemphasised as a story. Um, you know, and so
0: you're saying it got emphasised, but then it was, that was later disproven to be an issue. But like we said before with the MMR thing, the narrative has begun and yep. it, it's doing damage even after it's been solved
1: yeah that's right. Um, right so some very very good studies have been done looking at the rates of um, things like IVF success so you know mm-hmm. fertility um, obviously we can't test long you know it takes a while no, to we haven't had a chance long but no that's yeah, right big populations of things like um, IVF there's been no effect of in the vaccinated population um, and there's you know we can look at these things we can look at the immune response and and look at you know placental tissue and and whether it's and you know, none of the studies and they've been well conducted none of them have um, have any reason to to have continued red flags there um, other than hearsay and and rumor so um so those concerns can be not only you can reassure but you can also trace where it came from which i find fascinating
0: yep okay that's good to know what about uh pregnancy i understand that the 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 advice is for pregnant women to go and get vaccinated yes that's correct
1: yep Yep, that's right again pregnant people is a pretty big population um Mm -hmm. they needed to double check all that all those statistics in in big Populations of, of vaccinated people, yep. and um, the evidence is good. If you are pregnant, you do not want to have COVID. No,
0: um, and there is even some evidence that you, if you get vaccinated while you're pregnant, that there's a chance that some of the some of the vaccinate the positive effects of vaccination will be transferred to the to the fetus as well. Yep. Is that correct? Yep.
1: Yeah, and that's the case with a lot of vaccines. You know, um, right? Newborns um, most of their immunity to anything comes through the placenta and and right. through milk as well. So, mm-hmm. um, definitely. Extra benefits yep. um, there and extra concerns um, of, you know, of, actually of COVID
0: causing issues. Breastfeeding, I mean, my, my daughter's breastfeeding at the moment and I think she said she's booked in. I thought she was a little bit slow to get it, but apparently she's now booked in for her Pfizer now. So what's the story with breastfeeding?
1: Yeah, same thing. Um, really positive benefits positive. there and, and um, ones that can be passed on a little bit Um yeah, it's not quite the right type of antibody, but that's a whole other conversation. But no, no but
0: it, there's no there's no harm to mum or to bub in breast no. in in the vaccine. Yeah. No, 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 none no, of nothing the, out of the ordinary. None of, no, no no extraordinary. And
1: none of the ingredients are things that are going to make it through to breast milk, or, or have yeah. any concerns
0: there. So. Well, that brings us to the end of our side effects episode. I hope that Lauren was able to give you some wisdom, some answers. To the questions that you have, and I particularly love her level of graciousness and understanding. She's not condescending in any way, is she? She really does hear people and want to show concern and grace for them. Well, I pray that this episode was an encouragement to you. Feel free to share it with someone who you think might be interested. We want to get the word out there uh, and see if we can bring some calm and peace and balanced opinion and some genuine research and facts to this confusing season that we find ourselves in and coming up in the next episode which will be the final episode in this mini series within season two on vaccines we're going to look at the issue of Who can we trust? You know, there's a lot of information and misinformation and confusion circulating out there. Do we trust the government that's telling us the truth? Do do we trust the media sources? Can we trust the pharmaceutical companies? All of that kind of stuff. And so we're going to talk to all of that, hopefully with the intention of being able to give you a level of calm, a level of confidence about what information to take on board and what to ignore. So stick with us for our next episode. Look forward to talking to you then.